0: Welcome to the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. Join host Dr. Stefan Dillinger for lively discussions with leading epigenetics researchers. Hear about their past experiments, what they're working on now, and what's coming next. You know their papers, now get to know them and discover the stories behind the science.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. Today I'm happy to welcome Gonzalo Branco from Karolinska Institute on the show. Please let me briefly introduce you to our audience. You got your PhD from the Karolinska Institute in 2005 and stayed there for a postdoc until 2008. You then went on to do a second postdoc at the Gordon Institute with Tony Kuczaridis and came back to the Karolinska in 2012 as assistant professor. Since then, you had various positions at the Karolinska and are professor of clear cell biology since November 2021. A question i'd like to ask every guest to start off our little podcast is how did you become interested in biology in the first place and then in pursuing a career in science
2: okay so, so i i uh, i was actually not interested not in biology from the beginning i was more interested in chemistry in high school um and then when it was time to go to the university i i started getting more interested into biology and went to a degree in biochemistry um and then, then uh, during that degree, um, I, I started getting more and more interested in biological questions. And uh, I have to say that my major um, influence to to go more into not into neuroscience was actually my brother. I have an older brother that uh, is also a scientist. He's doing uh, investigating more. Um, um, systems neuroscience, like with MRI, PET, and, and these things, um, and so he's he's nine years older than me. He has a research group in Portugal now, and uh, and um, yeah. See, so, so I I was already interested in research uh, because of his influence and uh, neuroscience because he was also doing neuroscience. And then I started getting interesting in neurodegenerative diseases, uh, and that's how. So my my that's how I entered in in biology. Uh, And then, I I don't know, then uh, from that point on, I mean, science is a a little bit like a thread that you, uh, whatever you you find interesting, then you go in that direction. And that's later on in the career, I went more into epigenetics and then combined Mm -hmm. neuroscience and
1: epigenetics. So it must be very interesting, like uh, Christmas holidays when you sit at the dinner table and and discuss things. Or is it like strictly family then? Uh, No, I mean, it's
2: actually, uh, that's uh, the fun part about neuroscience is actually quite broad. So I, I, we, I do very molecular uh, neuroscience uh, and uh, my brother does the other spectrum, uh, which is more, uh, I mean, although of course our researchers also has, as we are focusing in multiple sclerosis also has a translational component, but my, my brother works more with uh, um, yeah, with patients. And so, so it is a little bit of a different. He has a medical degree. I have a biochemistry degree. Mm-hmm. So it is. Um, but we do discuss sometimes sci- science, not only science, uh, neuroscience, but also science, uh, how the different systems in Portugal and Sweden are and like these kind of things.
1: Yeah, must be interesting. So coming to your science that centers around the molecular mechanisms defining the transcriptomic and epigenomic states of oligodendrocyte lineage cells. I want to start during your time with Tony Kousaridis and the first Nature publication with your name on it. So there you looked at citrullination and how it regulates histone H1 binding to chromatin. Um, histone H1 is like yeah, one of the odd histones that then is not getting too much attention. Uh, but what did you find in that paper? No, I mean, I think, uh, it's,
2: well, histone H1 is, uh, like I said, not not a very... Um compared to the other uh, uh, history, it's not so much studied, but also like citrullination is also not so, so studied. And uh, uh, I think citrullination is a very interesting modification because um, uh, actually, so the, the way that it works, it actually, um, I mean, it's mainly known uh, by its action in neutrophils, <clears throat> where... Basically, high levels of citrullination leads to massive de- uh, decondensation of the chromatin, and actually is used um, as um, um, in these neutrophil nets as a as an antibacterial agent. So it's like a, a massive decondensation of the chromatin that is actually people also are not very familiar with either. Um, but then, what in this study we found is that um, histone citrullination in this context is also important for uh, the local decondensation of the chromatin in regulation, uh, re- regulating uh, pluripotent genes. Uh, and, uh, and um, <clears throat> so this is something that also I mean, in my lab, we when I came back, and when I started my lab in Stockholm, we were continue being quite interesting in this modification, citrullination itself, because it um, um, so not only at the levels of histones, but actually in oligodendrocytes it's in in proteins that have a uh, so the citrullination happens in arginines um so proteins that have uh, a lot of arginines um so it's not becomes...
1: it's not restricted to histones then no
2: no no so it's a peptidyl citrulline and then uh, it can happen in, in particular in in the cell type that we are interested in our lab oligodendrocytes. it actually happens also in the myelin uh, a myelin basic protein, which is a, a key component of the myelin, and it also leads to um, um, that the protein becomes disorganized, and actually, quite, uh, becomes quite important in the structure of the myelin of the oligodendrocytes. So it is a, it is a modification that can actually have several functions within the cell. We, fo- when I was in Tony's lab, uh, I was focusing together with uh, Maria Christoforo. Uh, more in the form of the function in histone H1, but definitely it will have um, uh, other functions uh, than than the ones that we found.
1: So you just mentioned that when you moved to Karolinska um, and you opened your own lab, um, you started to work on oligodendrocytes, and this came up like two or three times now in your um, in your answer. Can you maybe give us a short intro into this cell type?
2: Yeah, so so oligodendrocytes are is a cell type that uh, quite abundant in in the brain and in the spinal cord, in the central nervous system. And basically it is characterized to produce this myelin sheet, which is an insulating layer, part of a membrane that insulates the neuronal axons, so the nerve cells, and allows fast transmission of the electrical impulses in the neural circuitry. So uh, why we are interested in oligodendrocytes is because in the context of multiple sclerosis there is an autoimmune attack that targets the oligodendrocytes and the myelin and this leads to um, that the trans- transmission of electrical information in the brain and the spinal cord becomes slower and and then leads to the symptoms uh, the, the neurological symptoms that patients usually have so as i'm mentioning before uh, this protein MBP is a main uh, protein that is very important for the organization of this myelin, of the, this insulating layer. And then, <clears throat> uh, yeah, so like in general terms, this is <laughs> what oligodendrocytes do.
1: And what you then first did was you looked at oligodendrocytes during development, and you looked at their transcriptomes during yes. development. So what did you find there?
2: No, so... Um, Well, uh, we found that actually oligomerocytes have been thought to have one main function, which is to produce myelin, like I mentioned before. Um, But um, when I started my lab, uh, I mean, I I came to Stockholm um, uh, and I was in the same unit that uh, Stan Linašan and Stan... Uh, is uh, one of the pioneers of the single cell RNA sequencing. And we had a collaboration with Stan's group. So um, Swelly Marks in my lab and I'm in cell in, in Stan's group. And we decided to to characterize a transcriptome of oligodendrocytes during um, the juvenile brain and the adult brain. And this is where we actually uh, applying uh, StartSeq, which was the technique that Stan have developed for single cell RNA sequencing we actually saw that um, uh, several transcriptional states of the oligodendrocyte lineage, not not only doing this from a differentiation from a progenitor to a mature oligodendrocyte, but also uh, within um, the mature oligodendrocyte also uh, Presented that we found six distinct transcriptional states, which are now we are now very interesting in the, uh, studying. What do they do if they are have different functions, or are they just transient states, or um, w- w- what is the biological biological function of these states?
1: So this means that this could be subpopulations of oligodendrocytes. So. Yeah, indeed,
2: I mean, and I think <clears throat> we, we've we also, um, so this is something that we are investigating. And I mean, for instance, a, a study that uh, a postdoctor in the lab, Elisi Fleury, the, um, uh endeavored a few years ago, we saw that, for instance, some of, one of the populations is more enriched in specific subregions of the spinal cord and it's less present in the brain. So we are now trying to see, based on the location, what does this might mean uh, to the function? But I mean, again, this is a little bit of a, Almost philosophical question about what's a cell population, what's a state. Some of these might be just state. Some of these might be real cell populations, and I think we need to really to investigate more to know what is what.
1: So you were really at the how can you say it the forefront of single cell technologies from the early days, right? I think RNA seq was one of the first methods that was adopted to single cell um, to the single cell level, right?
2: Yes, it, 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 indeed. And I mean, I think, uh, I mean, like in science, sometimes it's really like being in the right place in the right time. And I think Stockholm at that time, uh, or when well, it continues to be, but it was a really like uh, a great place to be um, because uh, like Stan had uh, developed UMIs and start-seek at that point. And also here in Stockholm, you had Richard Sandberry that had developed smart-seek. Um, and these technologies at the single cell level. So um, that, I mean, this collaboration with Stan allow us to have like an early uh, experience of single cell uh, and do single cell experiments and really try to investigate this diversity in the brain with with single cell. Um, but it's also not only, I mean, of course, uh, not only single cell, but also spatial that I think uh, there has been a lot of development here in Stockholm with... Um, uh, you work in Loneberry with developing special transcriptomics together with Jonas Frizen and also with um, Mats Nielsen with in-situ sequencing, which we, we are applying in-situ sequencing. And like, I mean, I was mentioning these different oligonside populations and where they are located. And that's what we have actually applied this technology from um, Mats Nielsen in-situ sequencing, where we could profile several genes uh, in tissue sections at the same time. Uh, and then, by there, I don't see where these different populations of oligodendrocytes or states of oligodendrocytes are located.
1: Mm-hmm. So, you also mentioned that you are interested in multiple sclerosis. So, what is the effect or the influence of oligodendrocytes to this uh, neurodegenerative disease?
2: Um,
1: so, so oligodendrocytes have been
2: are the target of the immune system here. So, the, uh, what what we know about multiple sclerosis is that. That is the peripheral immune system, um, uh, like T cells and B cells, they migrate to the to the to, to the central nervous system and then uh and also microphages, and then they start attacking the myelin, and then leading, like I was telling before, this to this um slowing of the transmission of the electrical impulses. Now, olium sites have been thought to be like a target, uh, then always, uh, but this is actually where our results with single cell technologies actually revealed some unexpected features because so uh, like we were discussing before, we started by doing the singles, applying single cell transcriptomics to the development in the mouse, in the mouse. But then uh, we also applied it to, um, um, to a mouse model of of MS uh, called EAE uh, and at the peak of the disease. Uh, And the idea that we were having there was to characterize if there were, because this progenitor cells of oligodendrocytes are present in the adult and they can contribute to produce new myelin, meaning that is a regenerative potential of the brain. So we wanted to characterize how these cells in the context of a inflammatory environment, like this model of MS, how do they react and if how can they start producing new myelin? But when we did the single cell uh, RNA sequencing, in this case, we used SmartSeq2 that Ricard had, sunbury had developed, we actually found something very unexpected, which was like that uh, cells of the homocyte lineage uh, started expressing immune genes and a very uh, subset of immune genes, for instance, MHC class one and MHC class two uh, and, uh, and some other that are actually involved in survival. So this actually... Um, indicated so, using single cell RNA sequencing, we found a, a new aspect of the older set biology that without single cell we wouldn't be really be able to uh, uh, to d- distinguish. Which is that that in these circumstances they do start expressing immune genes, and then we did some fun- functional studies in vitro, and we see that they uh, they can activate T cells to increase their proliferation. In cre- uh, production of cytokines and so forth. So, so now this is something that we are very interested in. in my lab is like to investigate how this uh, other function, this alternative fate of the on-site lineage, uh, like when it's going to a immune-like state, how 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 it's um, what's the function and what is what's the relevance in the context of of MS.
1: After that, uh, you teamed up with Anna Pombo. And worked on chromatin topologies as can be expected when working with Anna Pombo, <laughs> and this was published in published in Nature. So how did this cooperation come to life, and uh, what did you do and find there?
2: Well, this <laughs> how it came to life. It's like many of the collaborations uh, usually. I mean, Anna came to Stockholm to give a talk in um, actually in the epigenetics novel conference. Uh, and then after, I mean, I, and at that time, she presented the first preliminary data of uh, immunogam. So, Anna had developed the gam and had applied it um, in in um, in ES cells. Um, but then, at in this conference, she showed the first preliminary data where she was applying gam on uh, tissue sections, where basically uh, using um, very thin sectioning of, of the brain. Uh, and then doing a laser dissection and then isolating the, the nuclei and doing the sequencing, uh, she was already able to see, uh, seeing the chromatin topology in, in, in specific cell populations. So, um, so what, what happened then is then I, I um, talked with Anna just after that, uh, that talk and then, uh, started discussing about that it would be, I would be very, we would be very interesting in looking at all the good insights in the same system. Um, and then, yeah. And then it started uh, like that. And then um, a PhD student in my lab, Mandy Meyer, um, she went to to Berlin several times and uh, to, to apply GAM. Um, uh, and she was, uh, I mean, um, working very closely together with uh uh, Warren and uh, geeking in in uh, in uh, in her lab in Anna's lab and uh, yeah so it was a very it it, it was a very continues to be a very productive uh, collaboration with with uh, Anna's lab so we are now also interested now and in applying so in, in that paper we we've characterized oligodendrocytes and um, uh, compared like with neurons and embryonic stem cells to different different topologies but now. Uh, in our case, we are also into, very interesting in the, again in, in multiple sclerosis and see how the site lineage of the topology is also changed in the context of disease.
1: So yeah, so this is a collaboration that you w- that will continue. Definitely, and actually, yeah. as we speak now, we have one another
2: PhD student in in my lab, uh, Xiao Zhang, is in Anna's lab. <laughs> <laughs> so it is it is uh, yeah. it's we we meet actually quite uh, fr- frequently, also via Zoom okay. uh, to discuss.
1: The- so a method that has gained a lot of traction in the last couple of years is cut and tag. Uh, yes. And many labs have done work in optimizing and further developing it. Uh, you are amongst those labs and expanded cut and tag into the single cell space. Uh, what was the motivation to start this project? And what were the challenges to adopt uh, cut and tag to a single cell? Um, I mean, so
2: uh, <laughs> when when um, Steve Hannikoff's uh, original paper uh, came in bioarchive, uh, I think... Uh, it was like uh, one of those moments that you see. okay, this is a fantastic technology. I mean, at, at the time it was in bulk level. Um, and I, re- I mean, I send the email to the lab like saying, okay, we we'll need to look at this technology. At that time, uh, it was not, so it was the original paper was uh, cut and run, right? And then uh, the in bioarchive. And then it was, I mean, in the discussion, Steve was already saying, this might be applicable in single cell level and uh, so we were we were quite interested uh, in this and then at the same time this was a time that we so it took a little bit of time for us to implement the technology in the lab uh, but i mean one of the things that i also have to praise steve is like the he has been super generous with the scientific community and like sharing the reagents and that really allowed that Cat and run and, and & tech were implemented
1: yeah, by amazing. Sorry, yeah. it's not only the reactions, but it's also the discussions that you can have with him, like on, on IO and everything. So it's really, really helpful in this. No, it,
2: it is fantastic indeed. Uh, and then, so at that time, we, uh, so many, my PhD students in the lab that I've mentioned before, we, um, so we, we, we had we started working with a taxic. Uh, and uh, so we had a collaboration with Howard Chang. Uh, and Howard at the time, at the time was developing uh, with together with the postdoc in and Howard's lab, Xingxi Shen, they were developing a plate based uh, version of uh, single cell attack. Um, and then Mandy Meyer, PhD student in my lab, then um, decided, okay, let's we decided we well, let's implement attack and we want to do it at the single cell level. So uh, and again, this is because um, Stan and Ricard had like also worked with TN5 in uh, his single cell protocols. We had our protein facility here at Karolinska was actually producing TN5, and we could get hold of TN5, and then actually, um, um, Mandy st- implemented the, the attack in our level in our lab, and also um, started doing together in collaboration with Howard like implementing single cell attack uh, in our lab. So then when um, single cell, when, when cut and tag uh, came up, when Steve then um, and, and published the cut and tag uh, protocol, this was something that also we could implement quite easily in our lab um, because we uh, we already had experience with the um with the attack. Uh, and um, but then it was Marek Bartojevic uh, in our lab that really took up the challenge to try to see. Okay, so him and Mandy were and also a student in the lab, Mukund Kabe. They were working, um, implemented Cat and Run and Cat Tag in the lab. But then Marek said, "Okay, can we do this in the at the single cell level?" Um, and um, so then Marek uh, basically imp- apply uh, adapting. The cut and tech protocol with the 10x genomics single cell attack, which we by the time also had a lot of experience in the lab. So Marek did uh, several optimizations. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, um, amount of BSA like to avoid the cl- uh, that the it would get a lot of um, uh, the cells uh, aggregating that would be pro- very problematic, and also like optimizations in the protocol so that it would be compatible to to. Um, to do um, to apply it with the 10x platform and and um, yes and then we applied it to the brain to the to the most juvenile brain which is our since we have several data sets uh, from that um, specific developmental stage it's uh, it's a very good data set that we can then integrate with our our data, new single cell data data with those data sets and then ex- explore further
1: yeah but in nutshell this is how how it how it happened in the lab. So, this will then also help to further characterize oligodendrocytes and see uh, and then characterize the subpopulations that you were f- uh, talking about earlier.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think this this is well, so that's the thing that, um, in the beginning, uh, so the, that was that's always our um, I mean, we apply the technologies to try to characterize oligodendrocytes both in development and disease, and this is why, um, I mean, not only the transcriptional layer of information, but also the epigenomic layer of information. But I have to say that, so Cat and Tag in the first single cell Cat and Tag with the first iteration, uh, it was informative, but the data is still quite was still quite sparse. Um, and um, for instance, we could not we could distinguish the progenitors with the mature states, but we couldn't see the continuum that we see in the RNA level. Um, while for other populations we could see also distinguished sub populations, but again it was not as as good as single cell transcriptomics, and I think the the question there was definitely the depth, and this is also one one of the questions that then motivated us to continue working in the sil- single cell cat and tag and. Um, I mean, Marek, uh, we have now um, a bioarchive where we have a new iteration of, um, of yeah, cut and tag. Come, I wanted to yeah. come this
1: in a minute, but I have a question uh, in between. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. So yes. Uh, the themes of your work seem to be single cell and spatial um, analysis of your sample types. Um, yes. And you also apply the cut and tag then to the spatial field, right? Um, so how, I mean... You had the pioneers of spatial and single cell RNA sig close to you. Was this something that inspired you to to um, develop the tech further then, or how um, did, the, yeah, did I mean, that come? I think we were very um,
2: yes. I mean, being here in the environment in Stockholm, where a lot of this technology are being uh, really spearheaded, it's it's definitely um, an important factor, and I'm, uh, uh, and of course the we collaborate very closely with, 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 um, with Mats Nielsen, but uh, for, for the in- sequence sequencing. but actually this, for the spatial epigenomics was a little bit, again, uh, I, I, uh different, I, I gave a, a talk in Yale and then I had like a talk. Uh, we, we had a one-on-one with, uh, with Ron fan. And then we just, I mean, Ron wrong had uh, just uh, the bio archive with, uh, with, um, His first iteration of technologies, and then we actually start discussing quite uh, a a bit. And again, then uh, Yanxiang in um, in um, Rong's lab also paired up with uh, Marek Bartojevic in my lab, and we started a really close collaboration um, on on this applying the. like the different kinds of epigenomics uh, in a spatial level, like, uh, again, in the brain, because this is uh, in the same stage, P21, the juvenile brain. Um, and this is how how it started. And I, I, and I really do think that um, I'm super excited with this now iteration of technology at the spatial level, because I think single cell, these are complementary technologies, but I think, really, the fact that we can really do this at the spatial level, I think it will give us another a lot of very very interesting information um, about the, the epigenetic layer of regulation.
1: Were you already able to generate some data that you can share with this method?
2: Uh, w- 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 what do you mean in the in the spatial? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean so so we have we we had the spatial cat and tag uh, paper together with Rong, uh, which was like a, a showing. Um, in the P21 brain, how we could see uh, different... Uh, so we, we did it with H3K4 3-methylation um, for active marks and H3K27 3-methylation for repressive. And I think one of the most interesting uh, observations there. So, so is that like, uh, when we look at genes like involved on in oligodendrocytes, Uh, like SOX10, you can see a stripe of um, region where you have like really high deposition of the active mark uh, at the SOX10 regulatory regions. And then, of course, that is like the corpus callosum. So that really shows how the epigenomic information can really, at the spatial level, can give information about the aerialization of the brain. Um, but I think another super exciting aspect of the data was like the different cortical layers that we could also see with repressive marks like uh, um, genes that were that are usually associated with a more deeper layer or more the superficial layers. And we indeed, we could see the different marks really deposit in the, in the genes that are involved in these uh, layers uh, of, of, of them. Um, but I think now the the interesting thing, and I mean that we are also exploring, is that we can see, um, I mean, you can also now like do pseudo time of the data and like see like going from a progenitor into a mature state, uh, and then see actually spatially how these cells are are where they are located, and but then like at the chromatin level, look like for instance how different. Um, regulatory regions are being uh, um, we have higher or lower signal for instance of the active or repressive marks or or open chromatin which also shows like at the spatial level how different enhancers might be commissioned or decommissioned during the process of of, uh. so i think that's uh, i think this is super exciting and and, uh, again as our focus is in the multiple sclerosis what we really want to see now is apply this kind of technology to um uh, to the context of, of lesions uh, um, of in multiple sclerosis to see, be able to see if we can also determine the epigenetic this epigenetic layer how is it regulated in in, in this context
1: so you were just mentioning before i had this question about the spatial field uh, your most recent bioarchive paper i think uh, or you were referring to that yes. where you use nanobodies to do cut and tag is that correct yes uh yes. what is so so special about those nanobodies and why are they so awesome in comparison to maybe antibodies
2: <laughs> no i mean I, I think uh first i think it's a versatile uh, uh they're very versatile um and i think <clears throat> the, the, the main advantage here is that we are able to probe two modifications at the same time. Um, so basically, uh, we have a nanobody. So we did uh, basically what Marek did was uh, um, so there are not nanob- there have been developed nanobodies that are against rat uh, um, against mouse or against rabbit. And then Marek did a fusion between um, uh, the TN5 uh, and and um, this uh, um, variable domain of of the nanobody uh, targeting either rabbit or mouse. So
1: replacing the the protein A. Exactly.
2: So actually, originally, uh, Marek tried with protein A, protein G, and see whether we could again have a target rabbit versus mouse using protein A, protein G, but that actually was not very efficient. So then that's why we decided to go to... Um, nanobodies and and then i mean and it so the, the real strength is that you can basically target primary antibody recognizing your histone modification of interest simultaneously If you have a mouse and a, and a rabbit uh, primary antibodies and you can have the nanobodies and then you can profile so we, in the paper uh, in the bioarchive we have been profiling two histone modifications at the same time which i think uh, it is um um it is so we will be able to, I mean, gives another layer of information that we couldn't have before. I have to say that it's also quite interesting that at the same time that we have been developing this, uh, uh, even uh, Raimundi in um, New York uh, Genome Center came up with exactly the same idea. So actually, it's a, a back-to-back bio archive, uh, and um, because it's amazing how science works that uh, uh, we came up with this idea here, and uh, even also uh, in in New York. And then, actually, so he applies it in a different system from us, more like in the hematopoietic system. We apply it in the brain, but I think um, both both show shows that like, the potential of of this technology. I think one thing that I also would add is that um, um, Marek also. Um, i mean I, I was talking before that one of the problems of cat single cell caten tag was the sparsity of the data uh, and this is something that actually we were able to improve um in, in this m- nano cat and tag uh, iteration now um because marek uh changed the strategy by which uh, we do the the tagmentation. well he only uses um the p five adapter when we do the instead of having relying on on two Um, two different adapters uh, in the beginning for the tagmentation, we actually um, use only the P5, then do a linear amplification, and then do a tagmentation afterwards to to add the P7. Uh, And that actually was a strategy that allowed also to increase quite significantly, significantly the amount of uh, fragments that we recover. And now the data is actually, I mean, the combination of these different uh, library prep, plus the fact that we now can do Different uh, modifications at the same time leads that the data becomes much richer and that we can actually see deconvolute more cell states from the data. And then again, compare. Uh, we can also compare uh, how it happens, for instance, in pseudo time when a modification. Uh, how the two different modifications are varying during the pseudo time um, of, of a, for instance, the oligonucleotide lineage.
1: Yeah, that looks uh, or sounds very promising. So, do you think that? more than two would be possible
2: so in in the in the paper we actually also have attack so basically what we do what marek did was it that he first does attack and then does the two modifications at the same time so we have actually the three modifications three three epigenomic informations in the in the same cell um i i i think it it will be possible um and i think one thing is uh developing um, so, for instance, using nano nanobodies that would target other species of primary antibodies that we will have target different histone modifications. So, I, I definitely think this is something that um, uh, it, it will be possible. And I think also even uh, BioArchive also has some different strategies also to go in, in that direction. So, I, I I do think that the what we lies in the future is actually to do several modifications combining with RNA and attack and then really see like in the same cell how how, all this information which i think it's amazing to think that this will be possible in the future to do this but i really do think that we are will be moving in that direction
1: yeah that would be very awesome so my last question or the last question for science is what are you working on right now maybe you can give us a glimpse of uh, what will come out of your lab in let's say the next five years Um, I mean, so so we are continuing very interested in
2: this um, multi-omics uh, uh, perspective, both at the spatial level and uh, at the single cell level. So we, we continue, like we mentioned before, our collaborations with RONG uh, and also with, with Ana Pombo, um, so, so to apply both, um, uh, try to, to multi uh, apply some of these technologies at the multi-omic level uh, at the spatial level. And also uh, with gam, also to try to investigate more. Again, like I mentioned before, the in multiple sclerosis. So, so we have this technological part and the epigenomics part that we are very interested. In. But of course, our main aim of the lab is to really investigate the molecular mechanisms for multiple sclerosis uh, and the, the, the how the oligodendrocyte lineage. So, um, so and in that, in that. Front, front, what we are very interested is um, um, investigating for instance how this immune state of the ulgocytes, what does it mean for the disease. So we our, our lab was not at all a few years ago focused on immunology, but we are definitely going into the neuroimmunology space because we we, um, we want to know what these cells are doing and what's their function. Um, But again, the other aspect that we are also quite interesting is to investigate more in the human context. So we want, I mean, a lot of the experiments that we have done is in mouse. I mean, we have done uh, also some experiments, like uh, probed the the, the transcriptome at the single cell level, also in in, um, uh, post-mortem material, uh, in order to be able to see how is the state of the homocyte lineage in in the human brain, in, in, in patients, in MS patients. Um, But now we also, one thing that we have identified is actually that some of this um, with the chromatin, so we see chromatin accessibility uh, in both mouse, but also in human cells in in oligodendrocytes, in SNPs that are associated with MS risk. Uh, And usually MS has been really linked to uh, uh, being a disease of the immune system, but what I think our data is suggesting is that there might be also, like I was talking, we were talking in the beginning, sites are thought to be the target of the disease, but now seeing this kind of chromatin accessibility in MS susceptibility genes, this is suggesting to us also that MS, that sites might have a more active role. So what we are really interesting now is really to see, okay, this do this open chromatin in these SNPs, does it have function? Does it interfere with? all side function during normal development and in disease and can it trigger the disease or maintain the disease and so forth and this is the kind of experiments that we are now really focusing in the lab
1: also yeah, it will be very interesting to see uh, the results of that studies so to finish off this interview i have two more general questions the first one did you at one point of your career face the situation that you have reached a dead end or did not know how to proceed to unravel the questions you wanted to answer
2: I mean, I think uh, that's actually I I don't think that it's one moment, but I think it's actually constant a little bit in science that you uh, have like these ups and downs and you have a lot of um, moments that you think, okay, um, what does this mean? What does the data mean? Or the experiments are not working. What can we do? And I think it's really, uh, science is a roller coaster, and it's always like that. Um, But I think the key thing is to be optimistic. I mean, things will work out. And also, like, to have a perspective. I mean, we also, I mean, we have several hypotheses. Many times we are wrong, and we just have to face it. (laughs) This is how (laughs) science is. Uh, But also, like, to try to find other perspectives, like, um, um, I mean, so, uh, to sh- shortly, yes, I have encountered, but it wasn't only one time; it was several times. But I also think these are quite important times to reflect about what you are doing, and also like um, you need to think about your experiments, about your science, and did reach dead ends in order to really put things in perspective, and then go to the to the next. And also like think, okay. This is really, this hypothesis was wrong. We need to move to something else. I think that's, uh, I I usually say sometimes when we're having discussions here in the in the lab, sometimes there is these silences that we have that can become very uncomfortable because we, we don't know, like, uh, we don't know, I mean, what should we do with the experiments? But actually, I think those silences are quite important because it's like, it's when you are thinking and think, okay, all the different perspectives of your data and like see, okay what can be wrong what so um it is
1: difficult but i think it's uh, part of it
2: yeah. yeah
1: so in the last oh wow 40 minutes we have taken a journey through your scientific career can you maybe give a short summary about your most important findings or something that you might have missed in this interview
2: um yeah i mean i think the what I think the most important finding in general, and again, this was really driven by the single cell um, technologies, is uh, to uncover this like uh, layer of heterogeneity in the oligodendrocyte lineage, and that they might actually have different functions that we thought uh, we, we we didn't know that they had before, and uh, and particularly I think this immune. Um, function uh that they might have an immune function in the context of disease i think that's one of the most uh, important findings that we have but i also have to say uh like science is also like goes in circles and if you go back to the 80s there were actually some papers already by then suggesting that all sites might acquire this uh start expressing immune genes but of course at that time it was like then with um, uh, either in situ hybridization or like with antibodies uh, and so forth, uh, but I think science is circular. So I think we, um, so the, what we are now using with the new technologies is that we are going, we are able to go in much more depth uh, in these like hints that actually have been already there, uh, and now we can further explore the function and what the what does it really mean.
1: So it's also worthwhile going back not only like 10 years in your field, but also like 30 years in your field and see what people have done back in the days and then, uh, yeah, see if new methods can can get new insights. So, yeah, uh, so thank you,
0: Gonzalo, for your time and for being on the show. Okay, thank you very much, Stefan. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. We hope you enjoyed it you can find all the mentioned references in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at activemotif.com, and we'll give you a shout-out in a future episode. For more great epigenetics content, check out the Active Motif blog at activemotif.com forward slash blog. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned.